0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, Jesus is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way, your faith has saved you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of the Lord. The story of the cure of Bartimaeus is really a wonderful school of faith and discipleship. When the subject of a cure is named, we have to pay attention because in the name itself, it already gives us a hint as to what Jesus was trying to teach us and his disciples about the cure. The name Bartimaeus comes from two Hebrew words combined together, bar and Timaeus. Bar in Hebrew means son. Timaeus means honor, son of honor, or an honorable son. If you look at the situation of Bartimaeus begging, ostracized, the last thing that you can think of to describe him is honorable. He was at the mercy of so many people. The last thing that you could think of seeing him with his, with his clothes, with, with the way he, he lived his life or he was living his life, the last thing that you could think of was to describe his situation as honorable. But he is honorable in virtue of being created in God's own image and likeness, And that honor that he lost, at least in the minds of his fellow Jews, would be restored back after the cure by Jesus. So let's dig in a little bit to the details of the gospel in here. We were told that upon hearing that it uh, it was Jesus passing by, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. He probably had heard Jesus' fame and popularity already because at this part of the gospel, Jesus' fame was quite widespread. And since he had no one to take him close to Jesus, he had to devise a plan. He cried out in a loud voice in order for Jesus to hear him, to call his attention. He didn't think of what people were going to say. He was not bothered by the judgment of people as to what is, what is this guy doing. He was convinced as who Jesus is. You know, he's one of the very few in the Gospel of Mark that address Jesus as Son of David. Jesus has always presented himself to the people in the Gospel of Mark as the Son of Man. But the Son of David is a special designation to the Messiah. The one who's going to redeem the people from the slavery, from the occupation of the Romans, the one that we're going to take them out from their misery. So, for him to address Jesus, son of David, he was spot on. He knew who Jesus was or who Jesus is. He knew. But we heard that many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he kept calling out all the more. Many rebuked him to be silent. It's interesting, the people who were closest to Christ, the same people who were following Jesus, the good church people, <laughs> were the one telling him, shut up. Don't bother him. The good church people following Jesus. You know, this just reminds me, it just reminds me of a story of a good friend of mine. She's, she's back to the church now. One time she invited me to her home and we were talking about faith and all of that. And she said, Father, you know, talking about confession. It took me 30 years after my confirmation to go back to confession. Then I said, why? She said, I was traumatized by the priest. He was so mean to me. He was so mean to me that actually people who were in line heard what he said about me. And I told myself, I would never be back to confession. Eventually, she did, after she had another conversion. But you see, you know, that was traumatizing. And that's something that, you know, when, when she shared that, I told myself, and I asked myself, I paused, it's like, hopefully, I did not do that to people, who can, you know, uh, seeking God's mercy or going to confession with me. I, I, was, I had the same experience when I was in the seminary, not here, um, in the U.S., when I was in the Philippines, I was just new. And uh, the old Monsignor senior was like, you're a seminarian. why are you doing this? And everybody heard in line. And after that, it's like, oh, what did you do? Well, at least it did discourage me to become a priest. But my point is, my point is, we can be a source of, or we can be a stumbling block for people. We can, be, we can be a hindrance to people, sometimes well-intentioned. You know, sometimes we want really our children to be in the faith and we do all of these things, you know, to, to keep them in the faith, but we need to be prudent as well on how we do it because overdoing it could sometimes leave a bad taste in their mouth. I, I was talking to another person too. And, and, and he said, you know, Father, I just, I just returned to the church. But I was really discouraged after when I, reached, when, I, when I reached 18 and I said, I don't want anything to do with church. Then I said, why? It's like, oh, my parents were just so rigid about this that it was not joyful. Well-intentioned. Well-intentioned. But instead of encouraging, it actually become a source of discomfort and also anxiety. Well-intentioned. And this is and the disciples probably were well-intentioned as well in their approach to Jesus. Jesus, you have other things to, to take care of. I don't want you to be bothered by, you know, by someone in the side, in the, in the streets. Sometimes, too, people who are, who, can, who are in the service or in hospitality industry, or even in volunteer work, sometimes, you know, we could be the most uncharitable. And, it really becomes a stumbling block for people to see the presence of God. I'm not taking away here personal responsibility, by the way, because even though we experience all of this ne- negativity or negative things, of course, uh, there's personal responsibility to actually know the truths of the faith so that these things should not, should not discourage us. But people are people, and we have We have that moral responsibility. But he kept calling all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Thanks be to God, Bartimaeus was not that friend of mine who left and never came back after 30 years. Bartimaeus was persistent, was relentless, because he was convinced. Relentless. You know, how relentless am I in asking for the most important things that I consider of the most valuable and the, rich, the, the riches of the kingdom. And what is my attitude towards asking the Lord when I ask the Lord? In the past two Sundays, asking seems to be like a common theme or denominator. Last weekend, you know, we heard James and John asking Jesus. And what were they asking? The most important positions in the kingdom. And the same question posed by Jesus in the gospel today to, the, to Bartimaeus was the same question that Jesus used to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? The same question. What do you want me to do for you? And James and John said, Lord, make us your prime ministers. They were asking something Earthly. But here with Bartimaeus, he's asking for mercy. Have mercy on me. You know, how do we know what to ask the Lord? Bartimaeus was already asking things to, from other people. He was begging. But he knew what to ask God. <laughs> he was not asking God for a handout. He was not asking God for for something earthly he was asking god for the riches of the kingdom when i come to jesus what do i ask you know honestly when i come to you the things that i ask the lord are pretty earthly and Bartimaeus can teach us what to truly ask So they called him. They called the blind man, saying, "Take courage, get up. Jesus is calling you." I was just talking with Joe. Joe, the one who read the first reading today. Joe, just a few minutes before mass, Joe said, "Oh, Father, I could not. Where's my glasses?" And I said, "Joe, the gospel today is Bartimaeus. You better, you know, you better see what you're reading." Because if not, I'm gonna tell you, Joe. Take courage. Get up. Find your glasses. (laughs) But he found it before mass. Take courage. Get up. Thanks be to God. Someone invited. Someone invited Bartimaeus to come to Jesus, and direct him to Jesus. You know, he was blind. He might go to the opposite direction where Jesus was, but somebody guided him to come to Jesus. You know, this is something too. You know, how many people, how many blind people have I guided to God? How many people am I instrumental in leading them to a deeper encounter with Jesus? And then you know the response of Bartimaeus? Mark said, he threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Just imagine this in your head. He threw his cloak. He sprang up. There's this sense of urgency. He threw his cloak. You know, his cloak is symbolic here. His cloak represents his security, represented his poverty, represented his disability, represented his everything that was hindering him to fully realize his identity as an honorable son what is the cloak in our lives right now that still that still renders us helpless in not experiencing the grace of god the cloak Finally, he said, I can't live like this anymore. He threw aside his cloak. His life is his security. And then he sprang up. He threw aside his cloak. You know, this is powerful because with people who are, who are experiencing or battling with addiction, at some point of their life, they say to themselves, I can't live like this anymore. I can't stay in a life like this. I can't have this cloak, you know, embracing me anymore. I need to get off this cloak and spring up to Jesus. How many people have realized, actually, after they find themselves at the bottom of their life, that the the only thing that they could ask is mercy, God's mercy in order for them to experience new life and liberation, new life and liberation. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I like it. You know, he's God, why is he even asking? He knew what the guy is asking. But this is a good thing. God is not presumptuous. (laughs) Many times I presume what people need before they even come to me, I already know what, they, uh, what I want to give them before they even open their mouths, like, okay, don't say anything. Here it is. Go. But Jesus you, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to collaborate to the realization of what you're asking. I want, what do you want me to do for you? And the response of Bartimaeus is powerful. We were told at the end, immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. Followed him on the way. That's what happens, guys, with real encounter with Christ, with real conversion. It's not magic where you get what you want and say, okay, now I can live my own life. Bye-bye. Be well and well-fed. Thank you. He got up. He received his sight and followed him. Real encounter always leads to discipleship. Real encounter always leads to following Jesus. The guy who was parked by the roadside for many years is now walking and following Jesus. We cannot follow him if you're still blind. (laughs) What are those things that still blind you about who you are, about other people, and about your call and your dignity as sons and daughters of God. Let's have the courage to get up and spring up and come to Jesus. And when he asked us, what do you want me to do for you, Carrie? What do you want me to to do for you? Can I stay at St. Cecilia forever? (laughs) I'm just, No. And you probably are saying, no, Father, we don't want you here forever. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking, what do you want God to do for you right now in your life? That's the question. Ask for something that truly gives you the most authentic joy. And then, we'll receive the sight and follow him.